travellers and welcome to podcast 114 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb and today we're expanding our horizons in every possible way not just plates and rooms with views but whole cities seen from above and below because we have as a guest today airline pilot Mark Van Honecker whose fascinating book Imagine a City has just been published. A very warm welcome to you, Mark. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Well, uh, Mark, um, Simon here. Can I ask which part of the world you're in as we speak? Uh, I'm at, I am at home in London. I'm at home in London on a, on a beautiful a beautiful Sunday morning. So uh, it's nice to, be, uh, nice to be on the ground for once. Well, if you can bear with us for a moment, we'd just like to update listeners on the ongoing discussions of um, plates with views, which have been the subject of our last two podcasts. Yes, and the focus here has narrowed a bit to fast food with a view. It's my my fault for asking independent readers, is there a branch of McDonald's, you know, that's of historic merit? For instance, Basel and Porto and, of course, the original UK outlet at Woolwich. Among your answers, Jim Devlin says the branch at 160 Broadway in New York used to have a grand piano that was played every afternoon. Sadly, it disappeared some years ago. That was the most upmarket branch they had. And there's one from uh, Joanna who uh, tweets under the name The World in My Pocket. The one in Antigua, Guatemala, is in a gorgeous historical building and has the most beautiful garden with tables between flowers and large greenery. John suggests the one in Kings Road in London is on the site of the Chelsea Drugstore, as mentioned by the Rolling Stones and as featured in the film A Clockwork Orange. And Tony says the one at the Vatican certainly grabs the attention. Quite controversial, but just shows that the yellow M can turn up anywhere. Um, Mark, have you um, uh, spent much time in uh, McDonald's in interesting places? The fast food place that comes to mind most immediately is the uh, the In and Out Burger, which is just uh, northeast of Los Angeles uh, International Airport, <laughs> and and it's California, so it's sunny, and uh, you can watch planes from all over the world come in to land on uh, on runway two four right. It's two of my greatest loves uh, combined there, and uh, I highly recommend it. So, so do you when you are coming in on two four right? Do you uh, do you look down and see and check that the In and Out Burger is is there? Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever actually looked at it from the from the cockpit, but uh, as soon as we land, it's uh, it's on my mind. It's uh, and I'm definitely not the only one. It's 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 a uh, it's a uh, it's full of plane spotters. Well, that's a new version of a busman's holiday, I think. <laughs> Uh, Well, anyway, thank you for that, Mark. Thanks, everyone. Just a reminder, you can see the photos of the places and the plates on the Flickr account that I've set up. And the link is on the podcast page for podcast 113 at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. But let's get on with the main business. Uh, Mark's new book, Imagine a City, a Pilot Sees the World, has just been published by uh, Chatto and Windus. And it's very much my kind of travel book. It's informative, personal, lyrical, and I think very thought-provoking. A real journey, in fact. But uh, Mark, what gave you the idea of writing about world cities? So I, I grew up in uh, in quite a small city uh, called Pittsfield in, in western Massachusetts uh, in New England. And as I was growing up, I was uh, utterly fascinated by airplanes. You won't be surprised to hear, but I was also I was also um, you know in love with the idea of where airplanes could take you. Sometimes my parents would come back from a trip with a copy of the in-flight magazine, and I would look on the back, you know, in the back pages always first, and at the route maps there, and I would see 
the way those cities were connected by these very thin lines that that sort of embodied um, kind of all the all the um, excitement that I that I thought um, um, you know travel and, and perhaps someday being a pilot might 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 offer. Um, and, and then I grew up and I left Pittsfield uh, and eventually I did become a pilot. And and when I did, I realized that I was going to have an experience of cities uh, a thousand times greater than anything I, I could have imagined as a, as a kid spinning my globe in my in my childhood bedroom. Um, you know, we, we see cities uh, perhaps most evocatively at night from above where we you know, a few weeks ago, I came back from Toronto, and and we took, we left Toronto around around 10 p.m. towards the northeast. And a few minutes after takeoff, we had just the most astonishing view of the skyscrapers of Toronto rising up like these these glittering towers. Uh, and and of course, it's on a, the city's on a lake, and and so beyond it, you have the darkness of the lake, which which made the city the towers look even more impressive. And then of course, we land and and we go into these cities, and 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 we have a quite unique experience of them. We we you know, we're not uh, ordinary tourists who are, are going to have a, a list of things we perhaps want to get through in, in a very short time in a city, which might be our only visit to the city. And that allows for a very relaxed experience of places. Uh, so I, the book is hopefully a way of capturing um, uh, what what a pilot, how a pilot comes to know the cities of the world and, and perhaps to love them. Well, I must say it is very, very good in-flight reading, and I can't wait actually to be in a window seat on, as you say, a night flight when you can really pick out the uh, the, the cities beneath you. Of course, you get a permanent window seat uh, with a, an excellent view. You you write, Mark, about many cities from Seoul to Sapporo to San Francisco. Is there somewhere you see your name on the roster next to a particular place and your, your heart leaps? Uh, one of the most striking aspects of being a long-haul pilot is is of course going going um to to the southern hemisphere where the where the seasons are uh are different for example and the approach into into cape town is just such an astonishing um approach especially if you come in over after three or four hours over the over the open ocean and, and you come to this to this city on its cape i mean it's just that simple it's all the clue is in the name uh and uh, you see this iconic uh, mountain there and uh you know, it's hard to separate the the kind of wonders you see f- on the approach from from the the things I like best about the city. Uh, we often, of course, fly to cities that are much colder than London ever gets, uh, and that presents uh, you know a range of of interesting professional challenges. Uh, if you go, for example, to Calgary in the winter and it's you know minus twenty five, which isn't at all unheard of there. Um, I actually quite like winter. Um, I, I like um, I like hot chocolate. I, I like to go for walks. Um, I like to cross country ski, which I did a lot in my childhood uh, in my hometown of Pittsfield. That was quite a common uh, sort of after school or weekend activity. And and uh, so when I see Calgary uh, or Montreal um, in the uh, you know in the winter when that appears on my schedule uh, or Helsinki on short haul, I, I absolutely loved going to Helsinki in the winter. And Mark, presumably the city you see most of um, as a pilot, uh, as a BA pilot, is 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 London, and uh, presumably the approach to Heathrow is the one you do most often. Yes, um, yeah, that's that's definitely the case uh, for me, and, and and I would imagine for for every every BA pilot. Uh, and, you know, it is just, it's such a lovely approach, but, you know, even before we, we have those iconic views of London, you know, if we're descending over, uh, if we're coming in from the West, to, you know, finishing a, a transatlantic journey. And, um, I, I, I mean, the countryside of, 
of of England is is just is just so so beautiful, and you get such a good sense of it from above if you're you know you're coming in on a spring morning and you can see all these all these uh, fields, these unevenly shaped fields lined with uh, their hedgerows and perhaps some mist or even frost in them. Uh, it, it's such a there's no question about uh, about where you're landing, and and that's. Uh, you know, it's uh, it feels uh, obviously I, I didn't grow up in the UK, but it does look a little bit like uh, like like a home to me. Uh, and and then of course when we, when we fly over over London, um, I often think, uh, especially if I'm in a window seat, perhaps as as a passenger, um, you know, I think about all the people on the plane who who've never seen that before. That you know, every on every plane you have probably have many passengers who. Uh, are repeating a journey they've made many times, but others will be looking out at London for the very first time. And, you know, and what a view to see, you know, the towers of Canary Wharf and, and the curves of the river and then the Tower of London and um, and then that whole sequence of, of parks which make London so special, this, you know, this patchwork of um, of parks that you could almost walk through for hours without without leaving. Um, it's uh, it's a, there's like, there's nowhere else like it. And what's also entirely unique, as far as I know, Mark, is that you are the only travel writer who gets a better view than the rest of us because you are coming in to land, but, but, um, or indeed taking off. But cities, obviously, utterly different, as you were implying at daytime rather than, than night. Can you actually, and let's take a, a, a flight maybe from um, uh, somewhere in, in the Midwest um, across uh, overnight to the UK, don't they all kind of merge into one or, or can you look down and say, ah, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's Detroit, that's Boston or whatever. Well, it's, uh, you know, over, over, you know, some parts of, of the Midwest, which are quite flat. Um, I would have a little difficulty picking out, um, you know, without a navigation chart, which city is exactly which. Um, but it does, it does become possible where there's a river, um, you know, uh, certainly, if you're if you're uh, coming out of Dallas and, and you uh, and you see a large city on a river, um, you know that's going to be St. Louis, uh, for example. Um, occasionally, on flights from Mexico City or, or, or Dallas to London, we do actually pass over Pittsfield, my hometown, um, and it's it's really um, a, a really wonderful and sometimes almost eerie experience. It's a it's a pretty small place. It's oh. it's I think 40,000 40, people, and, and it's surrounded by by uh, some of the most rural parts of, of the Northeast. And it's, a, and, and it's also surrounded by hills. Uh, so you don't actually see uh, a lot of the smaller settlements because uh, there's so many trees around them that they hide a lot of the lights. So Pittsfield, it, it, it looks um, like a very small place. And and to look down on it at night, um, you know, especially in, in my own middle age, when my parents no longer around again, um, it feels a little bit like you're looking on your own past. Uh, it's quite a... Uh, it's quite a, a, a lovely thing. And, and, and also, of course, it's not, you know, it is my past, but it's also the present for those who live there. And, and that, that juxtaposition is, uh, is something, you know, that I, I wanted to capture in the book as well, where in which Pittsfield, of course, plays a big role. Yeah, the idea of home does seem a really important part of the book. And there are lots of sections where you um, uh, recall uh, some of the times that you spent in in Pittsfield uh, in the past, but then you also describe um, other cities in a sort of way that makes them your home, like Sao Paulo, for example. Yeah, you know, in some ways, uh, Imagine a City is, is a book about about uh, the cities I came to know after I became a pilot. In another way, it's uh, it's a book about home, really. And I mean, I, I remember when when Google Earth or, or Google Maps first came out, and you could zoom in. Uh, anywhere in the world, and you know, I, I was on a couch here in London, and 
you know, I did not, I did not go look at the Sydney Opera House or a um, or uh, Sugarloaf in Rio or um, Foot of Table Mountain. I did not go look at Stonehenge or or Nelson's Column. I went straight to home, and I, you know, I zoomed in on those forests of Western New England, and I zoomed down to my street and. And I picked out my house from the shape of it above. And, I, you know, and I was looking at the, the lawn because the day the satellite took that photo, the, the shadows fell in a certain way. And I was trying to figure out the season and the time of day. And, and I looked down on the roof. And I don't know if, you, if, you, if either of you had that same experience, but, but the way in which home is always with you, um, it's, like, it's like a first language or something almost. And, but, you know, if a pilot, if a, even a pilot can't get away from home, then no one's got a shot, I reckon. So. <laughs> I- but but that really takes us on to the the idea that the, this this book is um in one sense of course um about uh, the the world cities in their many differences and glories but it's also a very intimate book as well it's a, a discovery of cities is also um is it fair to say about the search for yourself yeah i think i think i think that's right um i had um you know growing up uh like many gay kids i, I identified being myself with um with being somewhere else, um, I, hopefully that that um, that paradigm is changing uh, for the next generation. But certainly in my time, that was a that seemed like the, it seemed just inevitable that I would have to leave in some way. Um, and you know, I even had a speech impediment uh, uh, when I was growing up, which uh, and I kind of fell in love with foreign languages because I it occurred to me that uh, that some of the sounds I had trouble making in American English I wouldn't need in other languages. So. It, the idea of moving to a far off place was was uh, was so was so obvious to me, and you know, I, I, it's not that I mean, I, you know, and, and there is a, a genre of memoir where someone leaves their hometown and they can't stand it, and they go off to the world and they go back to their hometown and they realize how good they had it. I I never I never I love Pittsfield. I, I always loved it, um, and so and so um, kind of wrestling with that sense that of wanting to leave a place you love uh, and doing so in as, as dramatic a fashion as a pilot can. Um, and then to find yourself, you know, coming out of a subway station in New York and, and, and try to, to, to reckon which way is East and feeling the, you know, the map of my childhood bedroom or the, you know, my childhood bedroom, it faced East. And, um, and so that's, that window is always where the sun came and it's kind of like my little internal compass and I can feel it swiveling around in, in other cities as I, as I try to align myself with, which with which way to walk next uh and so uh yeah the way in which um the world is full of full of wonders and and yet we carry our first place with us all the time is 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 in some ways what i wanted the essence of of this book oh that's that that is quite interesting i actually um grew up not far from where I live now in, in Streatham. But um, I'd always thought of it as really quite a dull place. And uh, I must say, I haven't spent uh, much time going back to Coulston, where um, where I was brought up, until the pandemic struck. And then um, it was obviously impossible to travel anywhere unless you went by bicycle. And so um, I have, uh, over the last couple of years, cycled back to my um, uh, hometown, as it were, and to the the place where we lived, and sort of cycled around and looked at all the uh, all the nearby places, and sort of seen them all in a a, a very different light. You know, the first um, Chinese restaurant that I went to, the pub that I went to, and which my dad came and picked me up from, which was very nice of him because he was a Methodist and didn't drink, and all kinds of sort of really interesting. Um, sort of youthful memories, which I think are the kind of things that you bring out really clearly in your book. 
I, I was born um, a mile south of the runway at Gatwick Airport. So every time I go to Gatwick, I am reminded of that. And of course, I look out and I try and get a seat on the right side, on the correct side to uh, uh, see uh, the place I was born. Crawley, very sadly, this week, um, when a whole slew of new uh, new new places were given city designation in the UK that Crawley somehow missed out. So it will not be appearing in your excellent book. But just yeah. organising a book like this, I, when, I, when I first heard that you were doing this and I, I just thought, how on earth do you organise that? And the way you've done it, very striking oh. chapter heading. So City of Poetry, City of Dreams, City of Blues, City of Gates. And my favourite, um, maybe this says something about me, but the City of Signs and um, the idea of this amazing. And, and you took me straight there, Mark. Um, so, so the Massachusetts Turnpike, Interstate 90 in Boston, you are just walking through Boston and suddenly there's a big sign, New York, 200 miles away. And as you rightly say, um, it could be po- uh, pointing to pretty much any other city in the US. Um, but, but how did the idea of how to, how, how to arrange this book come about? When I, when I started this book, I was aware that it was going to require some, some serious uh, um, caution in terms of not getting out of hand. And uh, in, terms of the, uh, in terms of the sections, um, uh, I, had, I guess I had two influences. My dad had lived uh, all over the world, really, but in several large cities in Brazil. And, and he, did an, he wrote an autobiography uh, for his family. Uh, and he titled his uh, chapters um, "The City of the Bicycles" or "The City of the 365 Churches," or um, so that was that was something I was keen to yeah. evoke. Um, and then one thing which I'm sure many of your readers will also notice is, uh, of course, Italo uh, Calvino's "Invisible Cities," uh, uh, a book which is kind of a touchstone for me. Uh, has uh, has chapter titles which are. Um, uh, of a somewhat similar format. So, in fact, he has one on cities and signs, uh, and his chapters recur in this mathematical pattern, uh, which is really, really lovely and highly recommended. But, but that sense um, uh, desire to evoke uh, qualities of cities that recur throughout cities around the world uh, is is one that, um, of course, Calvino is is the master at, and, and uh, I found it a useful way of. Of, uh, of organizing uh, both the, the far off cities I was writing about and also um, also uh, my memories of home. Can I just say that my favorite chapter actually is um, City of Poetry, where you concentrate particularly on Delhi, which I didn't realize really had uh, produced such um, great poets. And uh, But the way you do it is, is I think, um, very clever and striking because you... Um, describe your approach, your landing approach to Delhi and um, quote from the technical manual that you're (laughs) following um, with um, some fairly incomprehensible um, uh, uh, pilot speak, which uh, I'll just give you an idea of this, uh, folks. Uh, All ACFT, well, I presume they're aircraft, entering Delhi TMA, except (laughs) ACFT navigating under conditions of RNAV stars shall follow IAS as per following unless otherwise instructed by ATC. I know that's air traffic control. Well, you make the point (laughs) that uh, the purpose of these notes is just to sort of um, 
convey to people who's for whom English is not necessarily the first language how this airport differs from uh, every other. Um, and you also make the point that the information is practical and succinct. It leaves no room for history or literature, of course. And so nowhere does uh, this uh, description of the approach to Delhi um, <laughs> allude to Mir Taki Mir, the 18th century poet who wrote... The streets of Delhi were like painted pages. Every sight I saw looked like a picture. Turbojet ACFT used continuous <laughs> descent arrival CDA between 1630 and uh, 0030. Uh, so anyway, I think that's um, I think that was brilliant. I really really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. That was uh, uh, yeah. I, I really I really enjoyed uh, that juxtaposition of, of of that technical language and. And these these ancient words. I mean, of course, a pilot might think that the uh, even the technical stuff has a bit of poetry to it too. But but uh, but uh, it's it's certainly um, you know it's it's uh, it's it's there was there's an audio version of, of Imagine a City and the 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 reader for it, an actor named Kyle Solar. Um, he actually you know his producer contacted me and said when they got to that section and said how do we you know how do we read ACFT? Do I read aircraft? Do I read out? Um, do I read out the word aircraft? Do I spell it out? Um, and uh, and of course, the other thing that's somewhat interesting is, well, I mean, I think pilots uh, are many of us are, are sort of have a sort of romantic nature at heart, um, but the but that juxtaposition certainly um, distinguishes between uh, between the two sides of the brain. I'm intrigued, Mark. Um, when uh, Mick or I or anybody listening goes to a new city, they're um, probably on holiday, they might be working, they may be seeing family. We, we can organise our tra- time as we want it. When you are a pilot, you have a certain number of hours there. So so how do you um, make the most of, I guess, what's probably a quite reduced window of time for, for sightseeing, for, for sampling local life? What, what, what What's your secret? Well, some of our stays are as long haul pilots are, are 24 hours. Some of them are 48 or 72. Uh, and, you know, in that period, of course, we, we have to, to sleep and, and to check out, you know, check our manuals for any changes that have come up and, and uh, brief for the, uh, for the flight back. We have to iron a shirt. <laughs> um, I think I mentioned, I talk about ironing uh, several times in here and, um, I have to say, podcasts uh, are are life changing. If, you, if you're a regular ironer, it's uh, podcasts make make the world better. <laughs> they're, they're making the, they're making the world a better place for those who iron their shirts. Um, and then and then when it comes to exploring a city, it is it is a uh, it is a unique uh, kind of position. I mean, we're um, you know I remember the first time I went to Beijing, uh, some of my colleagues were going to the Great Wall and and. You know who should who would ever turn down an opportunity to go to the Great Wall? But I knew I was coming back to Beijing the next month, and so I said, "Well, this is my first day in the city. I'm gonna I'm just gonna walk around and, and take the metro and get a coffee, and I'll go to the Great Wall next time." Uh, so we do have this uh, have this um, ability to to sort of be a little more relaxed than I am when I'm an ordinary traveler in a place. And, and want to, you know, there's certain things you have to see, and you, and you may you may think you'll never uh, have a chance to be in that place again. Uh, in terms of how I explore a city, it's usually on foot. Um, so I usually just walk uh, um, until uh, until I until I want to be <laughs> drink. Basically, uh, I, I I've, I've I've often noticed that the uh, I don't know how many years ago it was that I got a watch 
or a phone that tracked my steps, but it became very quickly apparent that this, the days I walked the most in my life were my first days in new cities. Um, Seoul was a city that I hadn't, uh, uh, a while ago, I, I calculated which was the largest city in the world I'd never been to, and it was Seoul. And my first day in Seoul, I, I don't know, I did like 30,000 steps or something. Um, which is like, I don't know, it's like 15 miles or something. Um, and then, uh, yeah, my next my next largest city is Jakarta. I've never been there, but I, I guess I'll rack up some steps when I do. Um, you don't just arrive with your aircraft and with your baggage and with yourself. You arrive with your own time zone. How do you deal with uh, with jet lag, not least because you've perhaps got 48 hours in a city and you've got to um, get back to the, the time zone and the location you started from? So in some ways, jet, in, in some cities, or at least in some time zone transitions, it Jet lag almost isn't even the issue because we can kind of remain on, on UK time. Um, if I fly to Toronto, for example, um, I can go to I can go to bed at at, um, at six PM in Toronto, and I can and I can get up at, at two AM um, or three AM. And uh, uh, you know, I used to going to the West Coast sometimes. Um, uh, going, you know, going to Los Angeles, there was a we used to stay uh, uh, not too far from the beach, and there was a, a 24-hour gym nearby, like a Gold's gym, one of those really like um, hardcore uh, gyms, and it was it was open 24 hours. And you know, you could wake up in uh, you could wake up in LA at, at uh, two or three in the morning, uh, having had eight hours sleep, and you could go out, you could go to the gym, you could do whatever paperwork you have. Um, if uh, if I was writing something, I needed to send a note to an editor or or follow up on a some fact checking or something and uh and you can text people in the uk who are already having lunch and then and then you go out and you have and you and you go and you have breakfast on a pier and the sun is just coming up and you feel like you've already had a you've already had a very a very accomplished day already it's quite it's quite a nice feeling um i do in terms of coming back to the uk i kind of have a 10 a.m rule or so so if i'm if i'm in if i can reach a bed by 10 a.m I'll I'll go to sleep for a couple hours. If I if I get back after that, uh, I'll tend to um, I'll tend to stay up and and then just just try to get some fresh air, some exercise. Do you, do you have any? I mean, you both travel probably as much as I do. Do you have any? Do you have any particular tips you found or? Uh, well, my rule previously has just been you know, sleep when you're tired. But um, of course, I don't have anything difficult to do on the flight itself, um, like like uh, fly the thing. So um, I, I kind of um, arrive perhaps with them um, uh, pretty well rested anyway. But I will certainly try that. I love the ten o'clock rule. Yep, if you if you're there by ten, then then uh, get some sleep. Otherwise, uh, otherwise forget it and just 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 barrel on through. Um, I, I like that as well. I think that's a that's a good idea. And uh, my own um, rather kind of hazy rule is actually um, don't eat too much, even though you feel ridiculously hungry, because I actually find that it takes quite a while to um, readapt to uh, new uh, schedules of, of, of uh, lunch and dinner and stuff. So I kind of find as long as I only uh, eat small stuff, snacks for the first uh, 24 hours I kind of tend to um, um, adapt a lot more quickly but Mark I've got one um, other um, rather silly question well it's I think it's a a desert island discs question now you must be forever packing and unpacking the same stuff in probably the same case uh, and you are obviously an expert at it Um, I just wondered whether you have a a luxury of some kind that you always pack (laughs) 
Um, that's a good question. Um, wow, what a lovely question. Uh, so uh, let me think. I mean, I think perhaps the the thing that would most surprise uh, most surprise people that's in my in my luggage is a spork. A, a spork. Uh, uh, I am often, uh, yeah, a spork, like a combined spoon and fork. So I am often, I am often getting like take takeaway salads for you know, uh, um, you know, maybe at Heathrow I'll, I'll I'll go to the supermarket in arrivals oh, and pick up like a, you know, a salad to uh, to have on my on my break, um, or I'll be in. <laughs> you know, New York or, or Boston or something. And, uh, and I'll, I'll get like a main course salad to eat, eat just before we leave to go to the airport. And, um, you know, a good spork is a, uh, a good reusable spork is a, is a traveler's best friend. Does it have to be a plastic one to get through um, security it, or are you allowed it is to a plastic do one. these it's things? A, some, it's a Swedish brand. I can't remember the name of it. Um, I, I you can just buy them online. Um, and, uh, <laughs> they, um, they just last, they just last for years. And, and, uh, um, it's a slightly silly thing, I guess. Uh, in terms of in, in terms of other things that always travel with me, um, you know, I have to say, uh, I used I used to read a lot of a lot more magazines um, because they were easy to carry. So I would um, I would carry a New Yorker or an Economist uh, with me all around the world. Um, but ever since I got a Kindle, I really switched back to books, uh, which is. Um, which is good if you sell books and maybe less good if you sell magazines, I guess. I don't know. Fantastic. So that's uh, passport, um, smartphone, uh, credit card, spork and, and e-reader. Uh, yeah. Very, very good. Um, Senior First Officer Mark Van Honecker, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, your book, Imagine a City, A Pilot Sees the World, published this month by Chateau and Windows, price £16.99, also available for e-readers. Yes, thanks very much, Mark. It's been great talking to you. And um, next week, we're going to be talking about psychogeography. What is it? Well, you can even do a course in it. Um, but find out next week. Until then, from me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.